Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. These should be fairly familiar verses. Of all the verses in Exodus, these are probably some that you have heard before one way or another, if not read them many times. Uh, This is the Ten Words, or the Ten Commandments as we normally uh, refer to them. And uh, this is when God had brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, and he's brought them to Mount Sinai, and then we get this. But before we uh, read these words, uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do pray that you would speak to us in your word and give us ears to hear. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Turning then to our gospel reading, this is from Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 38, and be patient with me, this is going to be rough. Here we go. (laughs) Luke 3, 21 to 38, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Methat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, 
the son of Jonan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meliah, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. I'm going to go take a nap. As I have said before with those uh, genealogies in the Bible, uh, they are really worth not skipping over. Uh, and it's the kind of thing where the first time you see them, it's kind of like looking at somebody else's, <clears throat> excuse me, somebody else's high school yearbook where you're looking at the pictures and you're like, I don't know any of these people. I don't know why I'm looking at this. There's some funny names. That's fun. <laughs> but the more you uh, go through those lists of names, the more you uh, read through the rest of the Bible, the less it looks like somebody else's high school yearbook and the more it looks like your own high school yearbook where those names come up and you're like, ah, oh, I know that person. <laughs> yeah, I remember they did this, they did that. And the more of those names uh, that really jump off the page and you start seeing the connections between uh, lots of things. So I would encourage you in your own reading, uh, when you get there, don't hit a long list of names and go, <laughs> skip that, go through it. It'll be good. Um, this morning, though, we're not talking about all those names. We're actually looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. And, uh, <clears throat> and again, before we even get into this, I have to talk a little bit about the book of 1 Corinthians itself and the situation that's here. This is a church. It is a community of people who have uh, each said, we are in on the Jesus thing. <laughs> we have, uh, are people who have been forgiven by Jesus we are people who want to follow Jesus. We want our lives to be centered around who Jesus is, what he has done for us, what he has called us to be, or who he's called us to be, and what he's called us to do in this world. That's who we are. This is the church, right? But this church is set in Corinth, and Corinth is a community, uh, a big city, who is actually not centered around Jesus. That city is actually centered around lots of other things. There's lots of idolatry, uh, whether to actual like statues or whether it's to just the money, sex, power of uh, the local economy and you know, everything else. It was a, an area sitting um, on a narrow strip of land between two bodies of water. So the ships would come and they would go across the land there. They actually pull the ships up and go uh, roll them on logs across. And so that was easier than going all the way around, I guess. It's, how hard is it to go around? Maybe just faster instead of easier. <laughs> anyway... But because of that, you had a lot of uh, people coming in that area who weren't from there. They're just passing through. 
And so as they're passing through, you have the kinds of things you have in areas that get a lot of people passing through. (laughs) Not a lot of accountability, but a lot of ways that people can try to um, make a buck, especially from people who aren't being held accountable by anyone. And so this church in Corinth is in a community that is not centered around Jesus. And so the letter that, that Paul is writing, this letter of 1 Corinthians, the letter that Paul is writing to this church that is helping them uh, to see the ways in which uh, maybe they have been influenced more by uh, their culture than they realize. One of the reasons that I think it's important for us uh, as Christians to read this today is because this is a perennial problem, Right? But the church is always being influenced by whatever culture it's a part of, probably more than it realizes. And so we are looking at this letter, uh, not just to learn how things were, but to see more clearly how things are. Okay, this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. And uh, here Paul goes into some specifics that they're dealing with. And then we'll talk about this. It says, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, Do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers? The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Whew, gets into it, doesn't he? Uh, He is certainly not pulling any punches in uh, this letter to this church in the ways that he addresses the issues that they are dealing with. And that is actually one of the great things about this particular book is that he really goes right in on it. And it is uh, similar, as we pointed out before, to how he writes the letter to Romans, where in Romans chapter 1, it's like, look at all these other people doing bad things. Everybody's like, yeah, those other people doing bad things. And then in chapter 2, it's like, and you're doing the same stuff. And they're like, whoops. And and so there's kind of nowhere to hide because everybody is in the same boat. That's where he says in chapter 3 then, uh, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what he's, uh, same kind of thing as you go through 1 Corinthians, 
is any place that you find where you can start pointing at other people and being like, yeah, they're doing wrong things. It's like, oh, be careful about that because that's getting ready to boomerang right on you because there's something in here for everybody as far as the ways in which we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And uh, we're going to take this kind of in the order that he talks about this in uh, looking first at this the legal disputes that they're having, right? How you've got people in the church who are taking each other to court. And what does Paul say about that? You're like, way to go. Good job, guys. Way to take your disputes to court. No. Instead, he says, you should not be doing that. You should not be doing that at all. Why? Think again about the context we're talking about. You have a church of people who are trying to follow the way of Jesus, right? That's what they're about. And then they're in the culture that's not trying to follow the way of Jesus. And he says, if you guys are trying to follow the way of Jesus and you get into a dispute with each other, why in the world would you go to people who do not care about the way of Jesus at all and say, will you settle this for us? That's not, even, that's not going to be a good ruling. But beyond that, not only is it not going to be a good ruling in the way of Jesus, but it's also... It lets people who are watching this whole thing go, wait a second. If they have to go to them, well, then why would anybody go to them, right? Maybe this uh, following Jesus thing doesn't actually have any practical application, and you really have to go outside of that for anything else. Now, I will tell you, as soon as we get to a passage like this, you know what the first thing is that kind of starts springing to mind? Most likely, for most people? Exceptions, right? So you read this, and you're like, no, no going to court. And everybody's like, well, now, hold on a second. I think there might be a good reason to go to court sometimes. And I want us to pull back on that. And that instinct that we have to immediately uh, push back against it and say, well, now, hold on, there might be some time. Instead of looking for the exception, let's look for what the rule is. Let's look for why it's there and what this means for us as people who are trying to follow the way of Jesus together. Paul is uh, giving them this instruction. Uh, He says specifically to shame them. Verse 5, I say this to shame you. He's right out there with it, isn't he? (laughs) He has actually said earlier in this letter uh, when something else, you know, he's hitting on him and he's like, um, I'm not saying this to shame you. And then he comes around on this one. He's like, okay, this time I am. (laughs) This one, I'm trying to shame you. And the reason that he is trying to shame them here is is not for their uh, discouragement, but for their repentance. For them to be able to see what they are doing and go, oh my goodness, we are being ridiculous. We are not living out what we are wanting to live out as those who follow Jesus. We are actually uh, living in a way that is not consistent with what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be in a community of people who are trying to follow Jesus together. I saw one example of this uh, in a commentary where somebody said, imagine that you're uh, you're taking your car to uh, mechanics. It's good reputation. Uh, they seem to do a good job. All is well. And then um, 
later you see that the mechanic who works on your car all the time, you see him taking his car to a different mechanic who you know is no good at fixing cars. What's that going to do to your confidence of the guy fixing your car? You're like, well, why would I go to him if he clearly doesn't know what he's doing? And, uh, you know, same kind of point here. Paul's saying, why would anybody come to you (laughs) as Christians if you can't handle disputes among yourself? And this is where he says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. We have, as Christians, means for reconciliation that the rest of the world doesn't have. Right? We are ambassadors of reconciliation, he says, in, uh, our ambassadors of Jesus and reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5. And if we cannot reconcile within the church through the means that we have, we have forgotten what it means to be Christian. He even asks, and when he says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already, then he asks, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? And everybody's got a ready answer for that, right? Because I don't want to be wronged. I don't want to be cheated. That's not fair. That's not just. That We're people of justice, and we need to stand up for what's right, and they can't treat me like that, right? So that. Paul seems to say, why can't they? Now, there is a sense in which, of course, it's wrong for anyone to treat someone that way. Because we have all been made in the image of God, right? So no one should be treating other people poorly. However, then you think about it from the way that he's looking at this. And saying, if you understand who you are, and if your security and identity is in Jesus, not in your stuff, and somebody takes your stuff, does that lessen who you are as a person? No. And if you're really secure in that, this gets back to you know Jesus saying, if somebody wants to sue you and take your uh, shirt, hand over your coat as well. What? This is a way of prioritizing our relationship with God and our relationship with other people for their own good above our own wants and desires for stuff, for for money, especially in this case. And when we realize, there's a song I've been listening to this week, uh, where it talks about how, you know, don't they know people who are clamoring for all this stuff? Don't they know that on the judgment day all the uh, gold and silver will melt away, right? So why would we go after that stuff at the expense of everything else? Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul, Right? And so what Paul is saying is the same thing, but saying it from the other direction. Wouldn't it be better to forfeit the stuff of the world and still gain your soul?
You may remember there was a song very popular a long time ago by Madonna. It says, I'm living in a material world. I'm a material girl. Remember this? Ringing bells? I'm sorry, I brought it up. Anyway, <laughs> now you got that in your head. You're like, I hated that song. I finally got rid of it. Anyway, um, that's a very different perspective, isn't it? But if you are living in a material world, if it's the material things that matter more than anything else, then wouldn't you do whatever you could to get as much of it as you could? And who cares who you wrong in the process? And this is what Paul says people are living like. He says, you know, why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be, rather be cheated? And he says in verse 8, instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. In other words, you're claiming you want to follow Jesus. You want to live like him. You want to live for him. You want to become like him. You want to do the things that he's called you to do. You say this with your mouths. And then with your lives, you are living in a way that shows the world that what you really think matters is stuff. That money matters more than people. That property matters more than Jesus. And he says, when you're living like this, no one will listen to you <laughs> when you talk about Jesus. Makes sense, right? And so he says, you need to be living in the way uh, of Jesus. And that's a very different way. That's where you actually live like what he says is true. And then he goes into this whole list of nine different things. Nine things that he categorizes under wrongdoers. He says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? He goes through a list. Uh, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we do not have time to go through all that list in detail, but it is a pretty wide swath of humanity there. And we may be more on that list than we'd like to admit. It's easy to find whichever ones we're not and be like, yeah, those people. But, I mean, of the ones we are, probably on that list. And then the kicker. Because, and that's what some of you were. Do you hear that? It's past tense. And this is about identity. This is about who you are. And you go through that list and you say, is that who I am? And he says, if, you have, if you've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is not who you are. That's who you were. But instead, you're somebody else now. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God sanctified, made holy. Did you hear how Paul referred to these people at the beginning of the opening of this section multiple times as he's telling them what all they're doing wrong, how they're not living up to what they profess, 
how they are giving the church a bad name in the community. He's really hitting them pretty hard. Do you remember what he calls them? In verse 1 and verse 2, the Lord's people. In the Greek, this is actually the word for holy ones. Those who have been set apart for a special purpose. This is how he identifies these people. Not by their sin, but by their Savior. And he says, if this is who you are, remember that this is who you are. And live in a way that is consistent with who Jesus is. Who he has made you to be. Who he has saved you to be. That when people look at the way in which you deal with issues of money, of sex, of power, they'll see something different than they see in the rest of the world. They'll see people who prioritize differently, who see that the things of God are more important than the things of the world. That our relationship with God and with people matters more than the stuff that the world has to offer. Remember that who we are is not defined by our sin, but by our Savior. That is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And if that is the case, Let us live like it's true. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.